Since the start of the COVID-19 pandemic, food insecurity increased from 11% of the population to 33%. An April 2021 study by Hunger Free Colorado reported that an estimated one in three Coloradans is food insecure. Greetings again. I'm Adam Morgan. The general meaning of food insecurity is not having consistent access to nutritious food and or having to skip or cut back on meals because of a lack of money. Although food banks have been assisting, the increasing cost for rents has left many persons with not enough money for food, thus bringing an even higher pressure on food banks to fill the need. Food Banks of the Rockies indicates they distributed more food in the last year and a half than in any other period in their 43-year history. The city of Denver has been approving funding to help with food needs through its Denver Department of Public Health and Environment. One of the leaders of the city's food program is Ms. Marion Kalb. Then about 80% of the people that are food insecure are people that are working, sometimes multiple jobs. Uh, that are being paid a minimum wage and having a hard time making ends meet. Uh, We also uh, serve veterans as well as uh, disabled folks. And so really that's about 80% of the population that is food insecure. So they're all having problems finding uh, fresh food or maybe residing in areas where they're not supermarkets or food stores? Yes, it could be a number of different things. Uh, You know, it could be a lack of resources and being able to afford food. It could be living in a place where it's just difficult to get to a grocery store uh, given a, a physical limitation. Uh, it could um, it could be having difficulty even navigating, for example, applying for WIC or SNAP, uh, or or being able to afford those foods that are uh, fresh fruits and vegetables that we know tend to be a little bit more expensive. So I think all of those things really come into play. When you talk about changing community food environments, what does that mean? Mm, that's a good question. When we talk about a community food environment, we're really looking at a neighborhood or a community as a whole and trying to see what's there relating to food. Is there a grocery store, a farmer's market, a community garden? Is there a food pantry to serve those in need? Uh, And so when we look at that food environment, we see what's there, and then we also try to see what's missing. And We do have a program that uh, tries to work within these communities and talk to different nonprofit organizations and churches and anti-hunger groups to say, what is it that you need? What would help you feed uh, more people good, healthy, nutritious food? And how can we support you in that? So community gardens have taken on a real significance in the uh, food environments thing, because a lot of people think that, you know, they're, they're doing a, a garden. It's more of a hobby. It's something, you know, that, that they can do. But actually, it's becoming a more important part of the environment or the food system itself then. It is. And uh, through this program, we have been able to fund some community gardens uh, as well. And we know that also specifically for immigrant groups coming to this country that have more of an agricultural base, uh, that they are very much interested in having community garden plots to grow foods that are familiar to them. So uh, we we definitely encourage and support 
the development and continuation of community gardens. Now, you mentioned immigrants when they are coming, they have a more agrarian base. Are you seeing a lot of that? That's something I didn't uh, see in my research at all uh, coming up, but are they understanding the way the food environment works here and what they need to do to fit better into it? Yes, I think that it can sometimes be difficult if you particularly come into an area where the customs and and the food is, is something that's really different. And yeah. so there are some organizations that work specifically with, uh, with particular groups. Um, I know that there is a program for Somali refugees mm-hmm. in uh, be able, being able to grow food that is familiar to them. Uh, and we even have an organization that we fund that works with uh, folks that are coming in over the border that have been in ICE detention. And when they come out, they have no resources at all. And so they help set them up and help provide them with food. And uh, that is absolutely one of the basic things that they need when they come out of an ICE detention center. When you're creating a unified food system, I thought it was already, like a lot of people, the producers, distributors, retailers. Is that what we're talking about when we say a, a unified food system, or is there more than that? Uh, I would say a little of both. The The food system itself, we really define as everything from planting a seed in the ground and preparing the soil to looking at food waste and uh, how do we responsibly deal with food waste. And so you're right. It takes into account the farmers, the farm workers, processors, distributors, and everybody along along that, uh, that chain. And what we find is that sometimes the food system doesn't treat everybody equally. Farmers don't always receive a fair price for, uh, for what it is that they're growing. Uh, we want to ensure that, you know, farm workers are, are well taken care of. And we want to make sure that, you know, consumers are getting the product that they want at a price they can afford. And with something, for example, like COVID-19, we saw how uh, difficult it can be uh, to work within a food system that in some ways is very regimented and uh, very strategic in what and how it produces and distributes. And we saw that not only for uh, food businesses on a large scale, but we really saw that with local farmers because many of them depend on restaurants for their livelihood. And without those restaurants, we found a huge shift in different ways that uh, these farmers had to had to do in order to sell their products. That's one of those impacts of COVID-19 that I guess the general public didn't even think about there. You know, we think about what our families have to do. Uh, the restaurants not being there, it has a real major uh, impact. Yes, it, it really does. And uh, what we saw that we thought was really positive is producers reaching out directly to consumers. And so they began developing online platforms, began ordering, being able to do uh being able to do mail order uh, with their products. Uh, We saw, you know, online farmer's markets where people could come by and pick up an order. And um, we actually have seen some of that continuing past COVID-19. So we we see that as a good development. Now, you have an emergency food relief fund that you put together for uh, people who have emergencies, if there's a weather problem. and Well, what we have is the Denver Emergency Food Relief Fund within the city of Denver that was 
created for uh, victims of of COVID-19, those that fell ill, those that were laid off because of their jobs, Mm -hmm. those that couldn't go out of their house uh, for fear of catching the virus. And so we developed this fund with federal CARES Act dollars. It was about $3.2 million going out to over 50 different organizations in order to provide food to those that needed it. And really what we saw during COVID-19 was our food insecurity rate rising from 11% to about 33%. So that means basically that one in three people didn't have enough food to make it through the month uh, or skipping meals so that others could eat. Uh, So it's had a pretty drastic effect. So are they a part of the partners that you're talking about, which help you, uh, which help the system work uh, when you're doing your purchasing? That's the partners you're talking about. Or does that also include distribution groups, too, who get food to people? Yes, it absolutely does. So it does include farms, uh, everyone from working locally with Denver Urban Farms, uh, such as Sprout City Farms, Frontline Farming, uh, Mile High Farmers. And then we also work with growers in the San Luis Valley that produce quinoa and potatoes, uh, as well as the Colorado Beef Council and trying to bring high-quality beef into uh, into different institutions within the Denver metro area. So uh, farms and farmers and ranchers and Distributors are very much uh, uh, partners with us in this in this uh, work. So that's something you have to keep track of as a food purchaser is what's going on on the farms. Are they having a good crop? Are they not? Is distribution okay? Uh, it, it is a lot to a lot to keep track of. But the the good news is we are not the direct purchaser. Uh, we are connecting uh, farms either to food pantries or to. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have one program called the Good Food Purchasing Program where uh, we basically ask agencies to put their public dollars where the city public values are uh, and to purchase from suppliers that support local businesses, that have environmentally sustainable policies, that treat their workforce well, from ranchers that are concerned about animal welfare, and to be concerned about nutrition and community health. And so we have uh, a number of partners there as well that are suppliers as well as different nonprofit organizations that help us connect up with these folks and support uh, these values that we think are also important to community members. You talked about healthy food there. Um, I, I guess I guess the decades that I've been in the world and on the planet, I've heard the uh, debates been back and forth about kids and healthy eating and healthy food for kids and I think there's one that's going on now in the schools saying, well, we got to give kids what they want. And, you know, which is a whole bunch of Cheetos and that kind of thing. (laughs) And then it swings back the other way when uh, when Michelle Obama was there saying, no, 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 no. We got to give them fruits and vegetables and that kind of stuff. In your program, what's the emphasis there on on healthy food for kids? Well, uh, we we definitely have an emphasis on on healthy food. But we also know that in some ways, uh, you know, when when someone that doesn't have food is trying to access it uh, and food pantries are trying to get, you know, whatever food products they can. And we certainly understand that. Uh, But we do want to emphasize healthy food, um, food that's from um, local farms as well. And we actually have an initiative called Healthy Food for Denver Kids. 
that was created from a citizen-led ballot, and it's funded through a sales tax increase, Mm -hmm. which ends up being about a penny on a $10 purchase, and the primary goal is to feed hungry kids in Denver. In, uh, in, in one of the recent community conversations that school superintendents had, one of the mothers said, we need the kids to go back to school so they could have uh, breakfast and their lunch. And I uh, didn't think about that when that, because the kids were learning remotely, they weren't eating well. Did you find that too? Yes, absolutely. That's absolutely right. And I think that Denver Public Schools did really just a stellar job in trying to take food out to students. They used bus drivers. Uh, they found various dropout sites around the city in order to make sure that all kids had uh, the food that they needed, uh, particularly uh, those that were part of the free breakfast and free lunch program. Um, I can also say that the Denver Public Schools has a couple of different really cool initiatives happening, and they've been funded through Healthy Food for Denver Kids. Um, They're building a greenhouse so that they can put more fresh fruits and vegetables into their school meals, and they're also bringing in chefs to help improve their menus and put together uh, meals that are attractive to kids. So uh, I, I think they're really trying here. So Denver Public Schools plays a real critical part in uh, in action planning and getting kids fed well, then it was was fed as well as possible. Yes, they do. Uh, We have about uh, two-thirds of the children that attend Denver Public Schools qualify for that free meal program. So uh, they play a a key role in providing nutrition and and good food uh, for kids. And and I, I should just throw in there, as part of the Good Food Purchasing Program, they've come out already as uh, excelling and exceeding the nutrition baseline requirement. So uh, they really are doing a good job. We also always hear that, uh, well, you know, uh, America probably doesn't have enough food. But on the other hand, we hear that America has way enough food, but it's just getting it to the right people and the right type of food. Uh What's the, what's the story there that you have found? Well, I think that, uh, you know, there, we do grow uh, quite a bit of food here in America. Quite a bit of it gets exported as well. And so what we really try to focus on is when we look at communities, what is it that they need? Are grocery stores serving a purpose? Are there other ways that, uh, that folks can uh, access food locally? And it's, it's really by working with all the different tools that we have available, including stamps, including the Women and Infant Children Program, um, all of the growing food programs. We look at all of those to make sure that communities have enough food. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, um, yes, I mean, you will certainly find a lot of food, particularly coming from California and Florida and Michigan and, and Colorado. Uh, but we also need to look at what's available locally where we can really feed and sustain ourselves. You have an action plan. Um, I guess it's called Denver Food Vision. I guess it has a, uh, it has an emphasis on neighborhoods then. Is that correct? Yes, it does. Uh, the, the Denver Food Vision, one of the uh, pieces in it is to create communities where everybody has access to food that's nourishing, affordable, and accessible, and um, through our mini grant program, we've been able to support uh, a number of different food projects 
in uh, in different communities. And uh, so, for example, um, we've been working with the East Denver Food Hub, and they're a food hub located in East Denver that yeah. uh, farmers from really all around uh, Denver and beyond bring their products to then be distributed out in one place. And uh, through the food hub, not only are they distributing um, food boxes that are either free or low cost to folks at the Denver Public Library or uh, with boxes or to food pantries, but they also are funding startup businesses. And one of the goals in the Denver Food Vision is to create a vibrant uh, food economy within Denver, and they're very much uh, helping to, to contribute to that. Uh, and, uh, you know, I can say also other organizations that are working really well on a neighborhood basis, the Sun Valley Kitchen has started a food meal program. They have yeah. community dinners and food boxes, and they also have a program for food education and employment for youth through our Healthy Food for Denver Kids program. Good. Is there a, uh, a healthy food program also for maybe seniors that are on fixed income? You know, we do have uh, an agency for older adults that very much uh, caters to the older population, and they have been very busy uh, during COVID making sure that these populations have access to food. And I believe that they are now um, looking at some additional federal funding to provide uh, food on an intergenerational basis, so bringing together seniors and children. Ms. Marion Kalb leader of the Food Security Grant Program for the City of Denver. We thank her for being our guest again on this edition. Should you need food assistance and live in the city and county of Denver, contact the city at 311. I'm Adam Morgan. Do keep in touch. Get your vaccinations for your health and your family's safety. And we do thank you for sharing a few moments of your weekend with us.